Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. Today our topic is going to be responding to conviction. Let's begin today in John chapter 16. In John chapter 16, beginning in the fourth verse, it says, But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, ye may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you asketh me, wherever goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin, and of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. Verse 8 told us, And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin, and of righteousness, and of judgment. The word reprove in the Greek means to expose, to convict, to reprove, to discipline, to show to be guilty. The concordance goes further to say that it means to convince with solid, compelling evidence, especially to prove wrong. One of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit is to convict people of sin. This is how he reproves us when we do wrong. It's exposing, but it's exposing that needs to be done, exposing that's in our best interest. Conviction is something that isn't talked about much in churches anymore. This is mainly because it's not a pleasant topic, and most people aren't looking to hear about it. People today don't want correction. They don't want to be told that they've done something wrong. They don't want to feel guilt. They just want to be affirmed in whatever they do. Most people don't want to hear about conviction because they feel that God's being mean to them and that correction is too harsh. These people don't understand the purpose of correction at all especially when it comes to the Lord correcting his people. Correction is done out of love. Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 6 to 7 say, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? It's important that we as the children of God understand that when we're convicted by the Holy Spirit inwardly, it's a demonstration of God's love for us. He's not trying to expose our sin just for the sake of exposing it or just to make us feel ashamed. That's never his purpose. That would be contrary to his character because that would be done out of a place of malice. He doesn't reprove and correct us in order to punish us and make our lives more difficult. He doesn't derive pleasure from seeing us experience guilt and mental anguish over sin. He doesn't want to convict us, but he has to. Otherwise, he really wouldn't be a loving father. When parents are training their child, they correct them when they're doing something wrong. Not because they're looking for the next opportunity to punish them, but because they care about them enough to want what's best for them. If a parent wanted to punish a child just for the sake of punishing them, we would all rightly agree that that's bad parenting. But many Christians ascribe that same mindset to God and think that it somehow would make sense if he operated in that same way. But we're blessed that God doesn't work that way, that what he does, he always does out of love, because he is love. He convicts because he cares. The easiest way to tell if someone has stopped caring about you is if they don't make any effort to correct you anymore. 
If they see you doing something wrong and say nothing and do nothing to try to redirect your course, it means that they don't think that you're worth helping because you would either ignore the reproof entirely or listen and then not act on it. People only help those who they find teachable, someone willing to listen and act on what's right. They feel no urge to help those who aren't willing or ready to be helped. And the same is true in the spiritual. Although it may not always seem like it, conviction is one of the greatest blessings that we have because it's a constant reminder that we have a heavenly father who cares so deeply about us and who loves us so much that he doesn't sit idly by as we do what's wrong and put ourselves on the road to harm and hurt. He steps in and he tells us that we're wrong and that we need to fix the problem. Since we had the Holy Spirit within us, he convicts us inwardly. This happens in different ways. The two main ways are through the Word of God and through our conscience. The first one we need to look at is the Word. One of the reasons why God has given us His Word is for correction. 2 Timothy 3 and 16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The Word corrects us because it informs us. It shows us what sin is. It tells us why certain things are sinful, and it tells us how to avoid these things, and it tells what the penalty of unforgiven sin is. The next thing that we need to look at is the importance of our conscience when it comes to conviction. Part of the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding is done through reproof. He warns you when you're doing what's wrong through your conscience, and then puts you on the path that you need to be on at the time that you need to be on it. The key is listening inwardly for His direction. We won't be led if we don't listen. Romans chapter 2 and verse 15 also tells us of the importance of our conscience. It says, Which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and their faults to mean, while accusing or else excusing one another. The conscience either affirms or exposes, based on what actions we choose to perform using our free will. It's important that we listen to our conscience when the Holy Spirit is trying to communicate with us, because if we continually ignore it time and time again, we'll become less sensitive to it, and very slowly, we'll start to hear it less and less, until we become so callous to the Spirit that we can't discern what He's saying anymore. 1 Timothy 4 and 2 speaks to these people when it says, Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, we have to use the tools that we've been given. When God is trying to correct us, we have to open up our heart to listen and to receive it. We know that sin will never lead to anything good because it's a breaking away from God's will. So when we feel conviction, we need to do something about it. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin can destroy a person's life which shows why conviction is no joke. It's not a laughing matter. God does it because He wants to protect you from the harm that you would cause yourself if you continued in sin unabated. Sin is self-inflicted injury. God will warn you, but He won't force you to stop because that would go against your free will. It's our job to heed the warning and respond in the right way. He wants you to become better. He wants you to have an easier life and to have it more abundantly. He wants you to be free from bondage to sin, but we have to respond to the conviction if we want these things. God can't do it for us. Others can't do it for us. It's something that we need to do ourselves. 
Different people respond to conviction in different ways. There's two main responses that people have. We need to take a closer look at these individually. Let's go to Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7, beginning in the 51st verse, it says, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. Who have received the law by the disposition of angels, and have not kept it? When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven, and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing on the right hand of God, and said, Behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears, and ran upon him with one accord, and cast him out of the city, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. This chapter is very revealing. Verse 54 said, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Cut to the heart is a unique phrase. In the Greek, it means cut all the way through, emotionally sawn asunder, as when the heart is ripped in two and cut to the quick. It's when a person is split down the center emotionally, when overcome with indignation, envy, and outrage. This phrase is only used twice in scripture. It's only over occurrence is in Acts chapter 5 and verse 33, which says, When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. Why would they get this angry? What would cause them to feel this level of mental anguish? What would cause this level of discontent in their hearts? It's conviction. They were convicted by their sin. They knew that they had done wrong. And they were convinced that they were in error. It enraged them to know that they were wrong. It pained them to see what they had done. But it's how they responded that reveals their true character. The second half of verse 54 says, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Then verses 57 to 58 said, Then they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears, and ran upon him with one accord, and cast him out of the city, and stoned him. They were so desperate to not be convicted, that they didn't even want to hear it. They would rather ignore it completely, and pretend like it wasn't happening. They didn't want correction, because they didn't want to change. They were the religious elite. Life was comfortable for them. They had a career. They had their traditions. Everything was going well. Why change? They were so set in their ways that they wouldn't follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. They wouldn't follow God, the same God that they so openly professed and claimed to serve in faithfulness. Verse 51 showed what their response was. It said, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. They resisted the Holy Ghost which means that they were actively forwarding the change that he was trying to bring about in their life, which fundamentally means that they were working against him and his purposes. Their formality put a structure and limitations around God that were never meant to be there. And it was this formality that they cherished so greatly that choked the word and made it unfruitful. It kept them back from the work that the Lord desired to do in their lives. Just like it always is, 
Their sin was a self-inflicted wound. It wasn't God keeping them away from their freedom from sin. They locked themselves out from the blessing. These men, who were learned in the word of God, men who should have had their consciences fine-tuned to hear from God, refused to hear, and then hardened their hearts. Ephesians 4 and 18 says, Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 14 say, And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Their spiritual hearing was dull from lack of use. They refused to open their spiritual eyes, which was a conscious decision that they chose to make, and they refused to understand, because they didn't want to change. They didn't want to have to fix the problem. They just wanted to maintain the status quo. They didn't want correction. They just wanted to be affirmed. But they found out that life doesn't work that way. Right will always be right, and wrong will always be wrong, whether we agree with it or not. It's not our choice, it's God's. They didn't want their deeds exposed, because these were the same people who liked the attention that came with their position. These are the people who wanted the best seats in the synagogue, those who made long prayers in public just to be seen, and those who only did good when there were others around to notice. They didn't want to be exposed in front of those same people. Nothing would bother them more than public humiliation, which is exactly what Stephen did to them. John chapter 3 verses 19 to 21 tell us, And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men will have darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Stephen was shining the light of the word into their life, but they hated the light because it exposed them for being the frauds that they really were. And they desperately wanted to stay in darkness, which is why they reacted in such a violent way. Many Christians make the same mistake today. They don't want to change. They don't want their sin exposed. They don't want to feel guilt. And when they are convicted, they harden their heart. They close their eyes and they stop their ears. They refuse to understand. And it only leads them deeper and deeper down the path of sinfulness, which in the end only works against them to their own hurt. They think conviction is painful in the moment, but they miss the fact that sin in the moment may be pleasurable, but in the end it brings far more pain than conviction could ever bring. We can't allow ourselves to react the same way. Conviction should never lead us to anger. It should never lead us further from God. It should lead to the opposite. We need to take a closer look at the right response to conviction. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, beginning in the 36th verse, it says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God had made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you, and to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, 
saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about three thousand souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. In this chapter, we find the other response. Verse 37 said, Now when they heard this, they were pricked to their heart, and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They were pricked in their heart, which is very similar to what we saw earlier when the religious elite were cut to their heart. This is the only place in scripture where this specific phrase is used. In the Greek it means to prick violently, pierced, stung, smitten. The concordance goes on further to say that it means to pierce all the way down, deeply, thoroughly pained, emotionally pierced through, psychologically pricked, emotionally stunned. This is similar to what we saw earlier with cut to the heart, but with one major difference. The difference is what this led to. Earlier, we saw that when they were cut to the heart, it led to indignation, envy, and outrage. But we find here that this led to repentance, salvation, and freedom. Their wrong was exposed to them in their hearts. They saw it clearly. Their spiritual eyes and ears were open to the truth, and it caused them great pain and agitation. It stung for the moment, but it led to something. They felt sorrow over what they had done. They knew that they had offended God through their actions, but they had the right type of sorrow because it didn't end in itself. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10 says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Those who were cut to the heart made the mistake of indulging in worldly sorrow, and it did what it always does. It led them further from God, further down the path to spiritual death. On the other hand, those who were pricked to the heart had godly sorrow, and we know that because it led to repentance. It was sorrow that wasn't there just for the sake of being there. It wasn't there just to ruin their day or just to make them feel guilty. It was there to bring about a change. They repented. They had a change of mind and heart. They followed the leading of the Holy Spirit, and we see the difference that it made. 3,000 souls were added to the faith that day because of conviction, and that's the fundamental purpose of conviction. We wouldn't be here today if we weren't once convicted with the wrong that we've done. We're not here because we're perfect or morally superior or anything like that. We're only here because we're sinners who have been forgiven and received grace from God. We're here because we heard the conviction, we were pricked in the heart, and we repented, and now we're enjoying the fruits of that decision every day of our lives, not only here in this world, but also forevermore in eternity. Another important aspect that we find in this chapter, we find in verse 37. It said, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? The second half of this verse is revealing. They did what the others didn't do. They asked a question. Asking makes all the difference. The others, immediately when they were convicted, made up their minds that they were going to be angry. They didn't check their reaction against the word of God, the same word which they supposedly knew and lived by. They didn't seek counsel of God as to what they should do. They just, without question and without hesitation, chose their own will over God's and didn't look back. But here we find a different story. Once they were convicted, they asked what they should do. This shows a number of things. It shows that they were willing to receive what they were hearing. It shows that they were willing to be taught. 
It shows that they knew that what they were hearing was true and that they needed to act on it. They asked, and because they asked, they received. Throughout our lives, we'll encounter conviction many times, and it's important that we don't make the same mistake as those who were cut to the heart. We shouldn't allow conviction to make us angry or resentful or envious or anything else like that. We should let it be the vehicle that the Lord will use to mold us, renew us, and change us into who He desires us to be. We can never allow the devil to use it to make us bitter. We need to let the Lord use it to make us better. God convicts us because He loves us, and our love for Him should drive us to act on the conviction and repent and change our ways. On the other side of conviction is always joy and peace and freedom, and these things all belong to us if we'll just obey the leading of the Holy Spirit. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank You for this day, and we thank You that You put Your Holy Spirit within our spirit to continually lead us and guide us into all truth. We thank you that you don't just sit idly by as we do what's wrong and go down the path to destruction, but that you step in and that you reach out a loving hand to pull us out of the way of harm and back into the straight and narrow path to truth. Lord, we thank you that you continually speak to us through your word and through our conscience, continually warning us when we're not doing what's right. Lord, we ask that you continually open up our spiritual eyes and our spiritual ears so that we can see and hear and understand all that you're trying to communicate to us. Lord, we ask for the wisdom and the understanding to hear what you say and then to act on it in the right way, in the way that you would have us to do so. Lord, we thank you that you are continually leading us into good and better things, that you're continually molding us into better people, and Lord, we thank you that that same change that you've continually brought about in our life, this continual process that's going on throughout our entire lives, that the same can be available to others. And Lord, we thank you that you made our lives a living epistle so that those around us can see that when that change has taken place in our life, that the same is available to them, that the same peace and joy and freedom that we love and cherish, they can have too. And Lord, we thank you that their spiritual eyes and ears are going to be open and that they will receive that change in their life that will only come through you. Lord, we give you all the honor, all the praise, and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to act on conviction and have Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins and ask for his forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for his free gift of eternal life. If you prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We want to thank everybody for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you'd like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate this show, you can contact us at kingsburgbiblestudy at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. We appreciate also if you write a review from wherever you're listening to this podcast from, and if you follow and subscribe so that more people can hear the King's Word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all, and we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's Word together.